This time, we're taking a look at Ghostbusters Afterlife, and along the way we ask, why did this get the Force Awakens treatment? Is this a fitting tribute to Harold Ramis? And what do we hope to see in a sequel? Who are you going to call? Force-fed sci-fi. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a very special episode of the Force-Fed Sci-Fi Podcast. My co-host, Sean, is off on adventures, but I am Chris Rupp, and today I am joined by a very good friend of mine and probably the biggest Ghostbusters fan I know, Jose Rivera. Hello. Welcome to the podcast, Jose. Thanks. I feel honored to be here. (laughs) This is awesome. Uh, Well, when I made plans to see Ghostbusters Afterlife, I immediately thought of you as as being a guest on the show. (laughs) It's like I said, you are the biggest Ghostbusters fan I know. We are currently in a a room that is surrounded by Ghostbusters memorabilia. That is certainly true. There's a Neutrona wand in the corner. I've got a proton back in the closet. (laughs) The the, uh, painting at the end of Ghostbusters 2 is sitting on a chair waiting to be framed over there. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> and we were talking a little bit before we started recording your intro to the Ghostbusters franchise is relatively unique because you came in uh, after the first film. You came to this world after the first film was made. Yeah. You know, it's so funny. I feel like all the things I really love, I've come into in this very in-between period. Like, you know, I grew to love Star Wars when it was like the dead space of Star Wars. Nothing new was happening, right? It had already finished. And when I, I came to Ghostbusters, you know, um, I was uh, three years or two first came out. Um, and I remember seeing that in theaters. And it's the movie that made me love movies, you know. Around the same time, I mean, the you have the cartoon, the real Ghostbusters that started in 86. And that lasted through like the early 90s. And, you know, that was... That was a big chunk of where I got my Ghostbusters fix. You know, there was Ghostbusters 2. My thir- my, when I was uh, uh, turned three for my uh, third birthday, I had a Ghostbusters birthday party. So all my toys, all the things I got were Ghostbusters related. You know, I had a Ghostbusters 2 balloon on my chair, uh, you know, uh, Ghostbusters 2 cake. But yeah, so that's kind of like where I came in to, to the Ghostbusters world. Um, and man, and it just stuck. It was something about it just really grabbed my imagination. And is it one of those movies for you where every time you view it, you may pick out something new, some new characterization, some quote that or line that hits differently for you every time? Yeah, you know, that's a good question. At the, <laughs> I think at this point, I've watched it so many times that I've kind of mined it maybe for all it had. But it, I still, all the, all the hits so well still for me you know um you know the big lines all the all the quotables still it just they hit so well they're so good and but you know i i i was just watching ghostbusters 2 and really paying attention to bill murray's uh <laughs> bill bill murray's just the way he delivers his lines uh the way that he reacts to other people's lines i mean and that's like you know, Ghostbusters kind of made Bill Murray a, a superstar, right? Like he was this funny comedian on SNL, but then he became a huge movie star after Ghostbusters because it was, I mean, that was the, it was the biggest hit of 1984, right? And so, um, you know, then he's like thrust into stardom. So this is like 
prime Bill Murray. He's like, you know, got all these movies, all these hits. And it's like what I think of as like, that's like old. That's like the prime Bill Murray is from that, like Ghostbusters 84 through like, you know, the early nineties. That's like the Bill Murray that I really love. And I, you know, a lot of people give Ghostbusters to a lot of grief. I totally get it, but it was, I loved watching, you know, this last time that I watched it, I loved watching his facial expressions. I loved watching the way he delivered lines. It's just, yeah, the, there is a lot of that. There's a lot of seeing little things in the background, or maybe now I'm paying more attention to like, what do the props look like? You know, because at this point I'm, I'm build, I'm building some of the props, you know, I've, I mean, I've looked at everything. I could see a pack and go, Oh, that's, that's Spangler's proton pack. Or, you know, Oh, that specifically is, you know, that's the one bill war, you know, or like, Oh, I see in this scene, they're using the stunt foam proton packs and not the like hero packs, you know? So yeah, there's, I've, I've, I've mined them pretty well for all that, all that they have to offer. That now your fanhood has really kind of carried you on like into your adulthood because you're part of a pretty unique fan group. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in the, I'm a member of the Windy City Ghostbusters uh, here out of Chicago. And um, you know, our membership kind of spans the whole Chicagoland region, but yeah, we go out and do events. We do cons. Um, we, uh, do it all for charity. So, uh, if you want us out to your event, you know, we ask for donations to one of our charities. Um, and yeah, it's been, it's been really awesome. It's fun to, uh, be in a group and be able to like geek out about those specific little, you know, all the nuances and stuff with other people who are in the same boat as me who grew up on Ghostbusters, you know? So, um, yeah, yeah, it's been pretty cool. It's been pretty cool. And now you have two little boys who, I mean, you just posted some pictures of them dressed up in Ghostbusters <laughs> get up. One was in, I think, a Stay Puff Marshmallow costume. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When uh, when my first one was born, uh, it was fun because I had him dressed up as Stay Puffed and I was in full Ghostbuster uniform. We went walking around trick-or-treating like that, which was fun. And, yeah, oh, they love, yeah, they love it. You know I try my best not to like force the things I love onto them, but you know, I think they, they know that I love it. They have a lot of fun with it. They've seen the cartoons, they've watched some of the movies and uh, man, yeah, they love dressing up. And I think that's like a, at the heart of the movies is this idea that like, Hey, like ultimately like you, ain't, you don't need to be afraid, you know, like you, you can face these 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 four middle-aged men decided to you know like go into the unknown and face the like dark their darkest fears and they came out of it alive you know that's pretty that's pretty awesome yeah i mean when you think back in the original film i mean it's four guys like you were saying yeah. in their middle age yeah. during a career change who decide <laughs> to start a business go into massive debt yeah, and yet right. and yet find instant success oh it's so true it's so true i love thinking back to the movie in those in that light cuz it's like wow that's what a what an odd you wouldn't have picked that out to be the blockbuster hit of, of that time but it was it was awesome and nowadays that's a drama on netflix that isn't a full-length <laughs> motion picture released yeah, by columbia so true. yeah that's so true man yeah i could see that being a limited series maybe six <laughs> episodes you know 
And your experience with Ghostbusters Afterlife has been pretty unique because you actually got to attend the premiere in New York City. Yeah, it was it was really great. This uh, the Monday of the week of release, uh, I got invited out to uh, be a part of the red carpet world premiere of Ghostbusters Afterlife in New York City. Um, I was one of 50 people uh, in the little fan pen on the red carpet, which was really Oh man, it was really awesome. Um, had a blast. Got to be out there uh, on the red carpet with one of my um, Windy City Ghostbuster brethren, um, and uh, oh, it was just a great time. It was a great time. Overwhelming, a whirlwind of a day uh, and night, but it was amazing, amazing experience. Yes, your photos from the red carpet are jealousy-inducing. I will say. <laughs> Yeah, it's wild when you're standing there thinking, I'm about to go see this movie with the cast and crew. I also got invited to the cast and crew screening of the movie. And, uh, like, I love Ghostbusters so much. Bill Murray standing five feet from me. Oh, there's Paul Rudd walking down. Ernie. You know, it's just, it's all, it's crazy. It's crazy. They gave us Ecto Cooler <laughs> out on the red carpet. <laughs> So Ecto Cooler came back. Like vintage like, Ecto Cooler or like fresh <laughs> Ecto Cooler? Because yeah. I don't no, think you want to drink was, the first one. That's right. It was fresh. It was fresh. It was fresh. But they brought back Ecto Cooler as like a promotional release only. So you can only get it at, I guess, at certain like band events. There's, uh, I think High C had a hand, has a handle for Ecto Cooler that uh, they're randomly sending it out to like people online who like ask for it so it's kind of it's crazy but it's not available in stores or anything so we got we all got a ton of it which was really really fun um might have actually gotten the biggest reaction of the night wow (laughs) was was the was the release of ecto cooler to to the ghostbusters fans it was pretty funny yeah, I know uh, a lot of people always want High C to bring that back. Like, they're not going to. Oh, there's man. no reason to bring it back unless uh, there's a new Ghostbusters movie. Oh, so true. You know, but Ecto Cooler, man, it lasted quite some time. I th- It had lasting power. I think they finally got rid of it in, like, the mid to late 90s. So, um, which seemed like it was a lot longer than it maybe should have stuck around. Just <laughs> marketing-wise, I'm like, well, do kids know who what this is still, you know? But, uh, man, it had lasting power. It had lasting power. (laughs) Before we get into Afterlife a bit, I do want to get your thoughts on... uh, There were a lot of attempts to get a third film off Mm -hmm. the ground by Harold Ramis, Ivan Reitman, obviously Dan Aykroyd as well as one of the writers of the original film. And there are... Are you in the fan group i guess that considers the ghostbusters video game to be like the third unofficial film or is it a good story in a in a decent franchise yeah you know that's oh man this that's that's the controversial question i think of fans right now uh yeah the i you know i grew up in a time where like it's like if if a movie uh ever had you know licensed out comics and video games and stuff it's like i never expected any of that stuff to really be canon you know um because you know oh well sure but if like with star wars for instance you know they had tons of novels and you know comics and all this stuff and it's like well yeah that was all awesome and stuff but if george ever decides to make another movie which 
obviously he ended up doing, but like, it's like, he's not going to be beholden to like these books and, you know, comics or anything, you know, he's going to do his own, he's going to do whatever he wants to do. And I always, I always held the story of the video game in that same way. Now I will say like, it was the prospect because there was so many failed starts to Ghostbusters three. I mean, even right off the heels of Ghostbusters two, it was like, all right, Ghostbusters three, let's do it. You know, um, obviously so many failed attempts, you know, I mean, name the comedy giants of the, like through the nineties and early two thousands, all of them have been attached at some point to the, the prospect of a Ghostbusters three, you know, and that was always like, let, let, like, let's just repeat this formula. Let's get four funny guys. Let's write this movie. Let's put them in. They're going to become the new Ghostbusters. You know, uh, that was always, I felt like that was like always the way that the direction of Ghostbusters three was going, which is what makes Ghostbusters afterlife really, I mean, it's just so surprising because it's not like any of that, you know, um, but Ghostbusters, uh, the video game, it definitely, I welcomed it, man, wholeheartedly. Because in my head, I was like, when is there ever going to be another time that these four guys are going to get back together and and do something like this? You know, it was written by Harold. The story of the video game was written by Harold and Dan. So that's like, you know, it's it's awesome. It's like, okay, here's, this is probably the best we're going to get. So like, this is awesome. I'm going to embrace this thing. You know, obviously thinking though, always in the back of my head, like if something ever does get off the ground, you know, I... I, I'm not I'm not beholden to the video game as canon, um, but it certainly is. I mean, what an awesome piece of what an awesome piece of Ghostbusters, you know, that we got with the video game. I th- yeah, I loved it, you know, but um, yeah, certainly never that was never in my head as the official Ghostbusters three, you know. And because the attempts to get the third film off the ground were so unsuccessful, it led Sony and Columbia to reboot the franchise in 2016 and i think there was some excitement leading up to it it had four brilliant uh minds of comedy women yeah not that that has any bearing on why the movie wasn't considered to be a success but it just it was so not well received yeah you know it was that whole thing was crazy you know and especially i was i would I was so excited for it. Um, just the fact that it got off the ground and got greenlit was a major win. It felt like, uh, cause the joke in the Ghostbusters community was like, Oh yeah, Ghostbusters three, it's in production next spring. Here it comes. You know, <laughs> that's what Dan kept saying. It's like, Oh yeah, we're starting production in spring, you know? And it's like, okay, okay, Dan, we, whatever we you it. say, buddy. Yeah. Right. So, uh, you know, just the fact that it was actually happening, that cameras started rolling. It's like a new what a new Ghostbusters is actually happening. You know, that was just excitement in and of itself, you know. And uh, yeah, it was wild that the whole zeitgeist of, uh, you know, criticism and everything else that, that movie received was just I mean, it was it was it was insane. You know, uh, I definitely was thankful we got it. And I don't think we would have gotten to Ghostbusters Afterlife without having that movie gotten off the ground, you know, without answer the call, you know, it really paved the way it opened it up to say like, okay, well, what else can we do? You know, what else can be done in, in with Ghostbusters? Right. Um, you know, you, you saw the movie in the beginning of Ghostbusters Afterlife, you see the logo for Ghost Core, uh, which is the production company that's on the Sony studios lot specifically overseeing 
Ghostbusters as a franchise. So I mean, they 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 that started with Ghostbusters Answer the Call, right? That started with the 2016 reboot. Was they started this production company, and I like I said, I don't think we would have gotten to Afterlife had we not gotten Answer the Call. You know, um, some maybe in some unfortunate ways, but um, you know, I it certainly you know it exists. There are people that love it, and there are people that don't, and neither of them are wrong you know it's just you know they the movie is there and now we have this other movie too which is also awesome you know well hopefully time will be a bit kinder to ghostbusters answer the call yeah i hope so you know it's i i mean i will admit i've cooled over it cooled to it over time but it's still it's a great you know it's not a bad movie <laughs> and uh and i again i just man it opened the doors for more ghostbusters stuff which is Ultimately, for me, like, I mean, I for the longest time said, hey, you can slap the Ghostbusters logo on a screen in the movie theater for two hours. Guess what? I'm going to buy a ticket and I'm going to go <laughs> see that movie. Now, I it might not be the best movie, but I still will be there, you know, so I'm 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 a ticketed seat regardless, you know, but yeah. All right. And I think uh, that's a good segue into discussing ghostbusters afterlife getting into the meat and potatoes that is the new film in the franchise and being that this is a recent release i feel obligated to provide a spoiler warning for those who have not seen it i suggest pausing our episode here go give ghostbusters afterlife a view and then come back and and listen to our show here awesome awesome so obviously harold ramus star of the first film Mm passed away in 2014 Mm. and effectively really kind of derailed any hopes of doing a third film with the original cast. Yeah. And in the best way, Ghostbusters Afterlife feels like a two hour long tribute to Harold Ramis and Egon Spangler. I, yeah, I, I think that's the thing that, um, when Harold passed, it for sure shot down the, the thought that okay, well, we're just never going to see the four guys in their suits with their packs on ever again. You know, it's just, you just can't. I came to that realization. I was like, okay, it just isn't happening anymore. You know, and I think that's what uh, when Answer the Call came out. You know, the reboot. Uh, I was probably more willing and open to see that movie because I just knew I'm like, well, there's no chance of ever getting the four guys back together, but man, Ghostbusters afterlife. Oh, this movie, like you said, it was, it's a loving tribute to Harold. Um, it, I don't know how spoilery you, we, we want to get here. Is it? Oh, let's get, let's okay. get deep in the spoilers. Okay. I mean, Egon Spangler is in this movie. Yes. <laughs> like, it, the, the, it cold opens, with Egon out in Oklahoma in the middle of nowhere on, you know, uh, and I was just, I was not expecting that. I, I don't know what I necessarily expected out of a continuation of the Ghostbuster, the original Ghostbusters movies, but everything that I saw on screen was just, it, it blew me away. Um, it was, you could tell this was a very personal story that Jason Reitman wanted to tell, a personal story about this family, you know, and, uh, that ended up being the Spangler family, you know? Um, and man, it was, it was a loving tribute to Harold in every way possible. Um, yeah, yeah. I loved it. And that opening is probably the scariest, 
like seen in the entire franchise because you have no idea what Egon is running from. Yeah. And you have no idea what's coming out of that cornfield approaching his front porch. Yeah. That, oh man, what an aw the, the, just the, the set pieces in this movie are fantastic, but yeah, that start and he's run, you see the proton stream shooting up from the mountain into this cloud. And I just sat there. I was like, what? the heck is going on you see you know him run into this into this truck and zoom off and being chased by this invisible thing and it was thrilling to watch i was on the edge of my seat uh it was crazy it was i i couldn't believe what i was seeing you know i remember when uh he there right there in the beginning he drives the truck off the um off the road in my head, I'm like, oh my gosh, is that it? Is that how a Harold dies? But then it keeps going. <laughs> yeah. And, oh, it was crazy. It was crazy. Yeah, I loved all the musical cues. I loved, I, I mean, I just thought that was brilliant to open with that scene. And of course, like, I mean, at some point you had to deal with the fact that Harold actually is gone, right? Mm-hmm. So at some point you got to deal with like, how is he, why is he got not here? Um now, I didn't necessarily think we were going to see Egon's death on screen, but there it is in the first five minutes of the movie, you see Egon's death. And it's, oh man, that was heart-wrenching enough, you know? And it drives home the point that this is not you're going to be your typical Ghostbusters film. Right, right. Like, yeah, we can't expect a cameo from Aykroyd, yeah. Ernie Hudson, and Bill Murray at some point, but... Right off the bat, we know Egon Spangler's gone. Oh my gosh. The, the brains of the Ghostbusters is dead. Is, is dead, yeah. Well, and it's right, it, even just with that opening scene, you're not in New York, right? You're not with four guys trying to, st- or girls, you know, trying to start this. I mean, everything about this movie from the get go is completely different. Mm-hmm. It puts you in a completely different place, in a completely different scenario, you know, a completely different mood <laughs> than the other than the other ones. So, yeah, it's it it was wild for sure. I mean, you can definitely you can definitely make an argument that the theme of the first film is probably capitalism. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. But here in Afterlife, you get these very deep seated themes of family trauma and then also dealing with a complicated legacy yeah because we find out in meeting callie and phoebe and trevor that egon up and left his family at some point oh yeah heart-wrenching all all of that was um i don't think i expected to go in having that emotional impact hit me as much you know um well in a poll question if any ghostbuster is going to abandon his family we all thought it was going to be venkman <laughs> right yeah exactly <laughs> yeah you would never i mean i wouldn't even even expected egon to have a family let alone you know abandon them but uh oh man it was yeah it was intense that was intense and i i got the sense when jason reitman was first attached to this movie that it was going to be a different kind of Ghostbusters movie. You know, it's not going to be the like um, situation comedy that maybe some people would expect, you know, it definitely, like you said, it was very, it's very character driven. It's about legacy. It's about family. Um, And that's the kind those are the kind of stories that I think Jason excels at, you know, and, uh, and he, brought it in spades <laughs> under the guise of Ghostbusters, which worked really well. It did. And especially everything ties together at the end. Mm-hmm. They're fighting Gozer. 
And it looks like all hope is lost until you see these ghostly hands help guide Phoebe oh around around her proton pack. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was that whole uh that whole scene, that third act was just so oh it was wild. I don't think I expected it to <laughs> to uh hit so hard while I was sitting in the theaters, you know, especially the first, the first time I saw it in theaters, I was in a cast and crew screening sitting in the same room as Harold Ramis's daughters as Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd and Ernie Hudson, you know, and I'm just like, Oh my gosh, this is, this is your friend. And we're seeing, I mean, that's the crazy thing is Egon isn't just in this movie in the beginning in the cold open for his death, Egon, like a spectral version of Egon (laughs) appears, which just saying that sentence out loud sounds so bizarre. You know, like I wouldn't, the last thing I would have expected was to see ghost Egon appear and bust on, you know, bust ghosts on screen with the original Ghostbusters, but we saw it and it was, it was not stupid. It was not silly. It was very, uh, it was very poignant, and it was, uh, it was cathartic, really, for me to see this movie and watch those scenes. Uh, man, I, I don't think there was a dry eye in my theater when, when I, when we saw, and like most of the screenings I've seen so far, I don't think there's been a dry eye when that, when that part pops up when you see the ghost hands, you know, uh, right around uh, Phoebe uh, or grab around Phoebe's hands and. Oh, it was it was crazy. Not only that, but how well, how awesome did he look in that? He looked great. I mean, that's the magic of computer technology. Oh my gosh! I you know comparing it to like other uh, CGI you know actors that movies have brought back, I I would rank this amongst the best. This is probably the best looking. Definitely CGI. better than resurrecting Peter Cushing for oh, Star Wars Rogue One. Oh my One. gosh, hands down. Well, they didn't yeah. have him speak and. The entire point that's been driven home mm. for the entire film was that Egon abandoned us. Mm-hmm. His former colleagues at the Ghostbusters don't like him. I mean, race when race says on the phone to Phoebe, Egon Spangler can go to hell. Like, oh, my heart just sank. That I was the, could not believe he was saying. Those oh things. my gosh! It audible gasp in my in 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 the showings that I was at when that part happened. Yeah, that Phoebe and Trevor and podcast find themselves in jail and she gets one phone call which you know leads to that great line of well who are you going to call, you know? Uh and she calls Ray and I was I oh man, loved that scene but when you hear Ray say that Egon Spangler can can go rotten hell. Oh my gosh. I I was like, how dare you say that about him? You know, it was that it was a bit that was a ooh that that stung. It stung so much. And then dealing with cat and hearing Callie say these things about mm-hmm. her father. It's like, I don't know. What's another word for a hole? Yeah. She's like scientists. And she wants nothing to do with her dad yeah. and neither in, as well as his friends. And that moment where Ray uh, Winston and Peter all get to say a final goodbye to Egon. Mm. Mm-hmm. And then when Callie goes to hug him, yeah. like, I'm tearing up just thinking about it. It's such a beautiful moment. And anybody who wants to argue that this is like for fan service can meet the front end of my fist. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's, that's such an odd criticism to me. And, you know, it makes me think that, well, number one, uh, uh, your motivation to watch this movie 
just must be on a different level because when I sat there watching this movie unfold, everything felt like it unfolded very organically. You know, obviously they had a lot, they had like 30 years of backstory to like an exposition to feed to us, you know, and they didn't feed us everything. Right. But they fed us just what we needed to get through to the, to that third act. Right. And man, yeah, like I said, it was, it was cathartic for me to watch Callie at the end embrace her dad, especially after spending a whole movie bad mouthing him, thinking he abandoned everyone, you know, and he he sacrificed everything to save the world, right? This was the like that. Oh man, that is uh that is just coming to that conclusion when everyone else realized, oh, Egon wasn't crazy. You know, you have that moment where Ray looks at Egon and he's like, you know, I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry I didn't believe you. That was, oh, I mean, I don't know if you or anyone else has ever had a falling out with a friend before, but it's hard. And that, that moment, those are real moments, you know? And, oh, it was crazy. Number, and we got to see the four guys together again. Right. That's like something, you know, I have been thinking back a lot about the movie. And, you know, I think that's... One of the one of my wishes of the sequel, the Star Wars sequel trilogy was, and I wish we would have gotten a scene where we had Han, Luke and Leia together again, you know, Um, and in my head, I was like, ah, we can't have that anymore. But Ghostbusters Afterlife gave us the four guys together again, and it was amazing. Well, and to me, it answered a great question I've been pondering since I first watched the original film is the, the, the series only seems to show like the bad ghosts, the evil right. ghosts or the mischievous ghosts. Like, and, <laughs> and right. if there's bad or mischievous ghosts, then that must mean there's good, good ghosts. ghosts. Right, right. Yeah. And Egon was there, you know. Uh, one of the things that's been interesting to watch or uh, see unfold is people debating in the beginning whether Egon was killed by the terror dog in the beginning or whether he tased himself in with with the uh pke taser thing and uh man either either way you know he engineered a way to be able to come back as a ghost and yeah he was a he was a good ghost it was awesome to see him and to really see his family have closure which made me as an audience member watching this made me feel like i had closure you know it sucked that harold died and uh you know the thought of never returning to that character again that that sucked you know um but man that was one of the beautiful things about this movie is that it really i it was a fitting end to that character yeah and i think it would have been impossible to do a third film post harold ramus's death without Mm -hmm. acknowledging his death in some way it had to have been done you couldn't just gloss over the fact that harold ramus a, a legend in screenwriting and oh, comedy and acting mm-hmm. is gone. It'd be yeah. like, I mean, nowadays it would be like trying to make a James Bond movie without Daniel Craig's involvement. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. It was crazy. The, uh, the cast and crew screening I was at, it opened with, um, uh, president of Sony said something and then introduced the Reitmans and Jason Reitman was talking about the process of this movie. And he said when he first, the idea first came to when he wrote this, wrote this down. And when they got the script together, the first person he had read the script was his dad, Ivan, who, you know, directed the originals. 
Um, but the second people that got to read the movie were Harold's daughters. Um, and they were there and they were there in the theater. He had them stand up. Jason started tearing up. They, the daughter started tearing up. Everyone started tearing up. So that was already like when I was going into this movie, you know, the state in which I was going into the movie, right. Was, Oh man, this is going to be, this is going to be something special. I think, you know, and it ended up being that ended up being that. And it touched on Harold's death. It touched on, uh, it gave a closure to that character, you know, um, that I didn't think I was going to see, you know, but I did. And it was awesome. And it was done very well, you know? And I love that Harold's children have become the keepers of his legacy. And they are there. They talk so openly about, you know, their love of Dan Aykroyd and now Mm -hmm. Bill Murray. I mean, and famously they had a falling out, but were able to patch things up before Mm -hmm. he passed away. And in a lot of ways, I mean, it ties into the theme, you know, the struggles that Phoebe and Trevor go through in this movie because they don't have a grandfather. Yeah. They have, they don't have a dad they they're being raised by a single mother who by all accounts is struggling to provide a good life and provide some sense of normalcy to them. <laughs> That's so true. Oh, it's crazy. Even just hearing you say those things, it's, it's wild that we're talking about a Ghostbusters movie, you know, <laughs> it's, it's crazy. That's, uh, it's, and it's so true. You know, I, I mean, I, you know, I don't want to get too, uh, too sentimental, but as, a man who was raised by a single mother, <laughs> you know, uh, myself, I didn't expect to have such a personal connection to this story as much as I, as I did. And man, that, I mean, that probably lent also to my, my, uh, you know, my relating to Phoebe and Callie and Trevor in this movie. And I mean, number one, it wouldn't have been as effective had, they not cast amazing actors to play these roles. Cause man, that little girl, Phoebe McKenna Grace, she knocked it out of the park. I mean, she was, it was like watching a little mini Harold. She looks almost exactly like a 12 year old Harold Ramos. Oh my gosh. Exactly. It's scary. Oh yeah. They just, it was brilliantly cast, you know, Callie, the mom, uh, Carrie Coon, uh, she did a phenomenal job and everything, every time she talked about her dad, you know, and how, you know, crappy of a father he was, I was like, I'm, I was sitting there going, Oh, like I get it. Like I, like, so I that cuts to the bone. That, it did. It did. Which again, like I said, I just didn't expect that experience going into Ghostbusters three and there it is, you know? Well, and then then you have Paul Rudd, the the fanboy science teacher who <laughs> who's desperate to connect with Phoebe and try to also provide that sense of normalcy. Yeah. I just love how Paul Rudd is so multifaceted. He can play an Avenger and a geeky science teacher who wants nothing to do with summer school and just shows horror movies to the class. <laughs> oh my gosh, that was like the best when he pulls out Cujo in the summer school class. I was oh, I was cracking up. Yeah, he was he was incredible. It was all so good. Oh, I love it. <laughs> You're going on a date with Gary Gruberson. His name's Gary Gary. Gruberson. Gruberson. Oh, so good. I mean, but with Paul Rudd, I mean, we know him as a great bastion of comedic acting, too. And Carrie Coon, obviously, nobody has a bad word to say about Carrie Coon's Mm -hmm. acting. But were you a little disappointed to not see Paul Rudd or Carrie Coon, Donna Ghostbusters overall? 
You know, I uh, I had very tempered expectations going into this movie just because I, you know, I've gotten myself so hyped up before on other things and come out of it very disappointed. So I tend to go into movies pretty clean, you know, like pretty clean slated. Uh, would it have been cool to see them suit up? It would have been, you know, um, uh, was I bummed that, they, no, I, I don't think I was, you know, I, I loved, I actually, I, I kind of in my, when they first got cast, I, in my head, I had a little thought of, you know, I wonder if they're going to be like key master and, you know, gatekeeper here, you know, um, especially once we started getting word that terror dogs were going to be in this movie. I was like, oh, okay. I kind of, I have a feeling something could that that could be connected, you know. But yeah, I don't think I was disappointed that they didn't that they didn't suit up. But that terror dog Walmart scene is probably the funniest in the film. Oh, I loved I the way the terror dog. Lo- I mean, I loved that they used a lot of practical effects in this movie. And the when the terror you see the terror dog with his face shoved into a bag of puppy chow. You know, it's like oh my gosh that thing looks real it and immediately it is. made me think of okay who brought the dog right, exactly <laughs> and oh it looked so good that whole that whole scene played out awesome i loved the mini puffs and that's the you know i loved this movie sure it brought a lot of uh a lot of stuff that we remember back right but the mini puffs i mean what a cool way to re do the con the stay puffed concept you know not only that but i thought muncher like you know the the blue ghost muncher was awesome oh my and that whole set piece when they're uh first in the ecto first busting muncher that i've i've never seen ghost busting play out like that before that was like the that was the most thrilling set piece for me of the whole movie you know i every screening i've been to people have audibly cheered once they busted Muncher, you know, it was incredible, incredible. That was definitely a thrilling scene. And the whole time I'm thinking, you know, as Phoebe, you know, lets loose with the proton pack and de- <laughs> destroys half of Somerville, I'm thinking, oh, they're going to be in trouble. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they're in a lot of trouble. Oh, absolutely. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. But no, you're absolutely right. Like, I think this this movie manages to accomplish, I think, with the first two either didn't want to do or just it didn't fit with the tone of the movie but it made these scenes thrilling like leading up to that chase through Somerville Phoebe and podcast are going through that abandoned smelting plant looking for Muncher yeah for sure and you hear the 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 callback music from the first film as they're looking for it it reminded me so much of the you know Egon Ray and Peter going into the Cedric hotel hotel yep 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 looking for Slimer oh yeah it was a lot of great, a lot of great nods to those scenes, and uh, <laughs> and even just the little twists of you know podcast throws out the trap, and it doesn't quite land the way that, that, <laughs> that, that it should, you know. And in my head, I'm like, that's so funny because that's exactly what a group of kids, you know, they'd be fumbling with this stuff, you know, trying to trying to do what they think they should do with it, right? Oh, it was it played out so great. And it makes ghostbusting look fun. Like Oh, yeah. The RC trap? Amazing. I Amazing. Thought, th- thought that was a brilliant way of making it like like ghostbusters like is for adults, but it's for kids. And what better way to have it be for kids than have a ghost trap on an RC vehicle? <laughs> it's so true. Oh, man. Watching all of that was so cool cuz in the first movie, we see them 
bust Slimer, right? That really is the only ghost we actually see them bust. Everything else happens in a montage, right? The, the classic 80s montage, you know? Uh, and then in Ghostbusters 2, they but we see them bust the Scolari brothers. And then we don't really see them bust anything else until, like, they defeat Vigo, you know? Well, we're, and, we were all watching the first movie thinking they'd go back to the library and, right. you know, burn half of the restricted <laughs> section or whatever. That's right. And so in this movie, to see you know, ghost busting as this like action packed thing. Oh, it was awesome. It was so cool. Yeah. That was like when that scene in the Ecto was going on the inner child in me. Oh man. I was three-year-old Jose was jumping up and down. So pumped, you know, in my head, I'm like, Oh, I can't wait to show my boys this. They're going to love this. Oh, so great. And it's, uh, to be honest, like I wish there's one cameo. I wish, we would have seen. And mm. I I think I would have loved to have, maybe not like an actual this. visual, but I wish we would have gotten a Rick Moranis cameo. Yeah, you know. You he, know, when Janine Melnitz shows up at the farmhouse, I would have expected to, you know, camera pan right outside. Yeah. You see Louis Tully in a car going, come on, Janine, we got to go home. <laughs> That's right, right. Yeah, which that was the first, I mean, she's the first original cast member we see on screen is Annie Potts' Janine. And I... Oh, I thought she nailed it. You know, in my head, I'm like, wow, that she really stepped back into that. The voice was there. You know, the look was there. But yeah, I was it, it's a bummer. We didn't see Lewis. You know, I mean, I think Rick Moranis was he also was a holdout for these movies for so long. You know, um, his quote unquote retirement, uh, even though he's coming back for, I guess, a honey, I shrunk the kids <laughs> return, um, which then that bums me out. because I'm like, oh, man, you're going to come back for. Honey, I shrunk the kids, but you wouldn't come back for Ghostbusters. <laughs> I just remember when he was assaulted uh, on the streets of New York, oh, I think in 2020. Yeah. And then everybody just got up in arms like, who the hell went after Rick, Rick Moranis? I know. That was like a call to arms to, to America, right? It's uh, like, it's like how dare you? <laughs> you touch one of Canada's greatest exports. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it was a bummer not to see him. I... In uh, the post credit scene, we see Winston and he talks about starting this bit. He started his business with one employee. And in my head canon, the one employee that he started that business with was Lewis Tully. <laughs> so that's where in my head canon that exists. You know, I'm glad you actually brought up Winston because I've actually been seeing a lot about how this movie finally somehow gets Winston right. Mm. And I find myself having to defend Winston Zedmore as an essential part of all of the films more often than not. Oh, and absolutely. Like, like, can you shed some light as to why you think like there's this belief about how Winston is quote unquote non-essential? Yeah. You know, it's so weird. I mean, I think a lot of this is tied to that first movie, you know, they, the, uh, the big, they got the big names were Harold Ramis, right? Uh, Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd were attached to Ghostbusters, right? No one really knew who Ernie Hudson was, right? He wasn't he wasn't a big name. He certainly wasn't a comedic giant like the other three, right? Um, and I think there's a lot of baggage that ended up coming with that. Uh, you know, if you look at the original one sheets for the for the movie, it's the three guys holding Neutrona wands 
where's Winston? You know, and in the original VHS, it's like, well, where's the, in all the promotional items, it's like, well, where's Winston? Like, we know he's the fourth, he's the fourth Ghostbuster, you know, and probably has one of the best, he, he was given so many of the the great lines in that movie. I mean, the ending line of, ah, ha, ha, I love this town, or, you know. Uh, if there's a steady paycheck, paycheck in it, it, I'll believe anything you say. <laughs> exactly. So it's. I think it's always been a bummer that it seems like he's been left out of some of the spotlight of the original movies. I mean, even in the in Ghostbusters 2, you know, I remember first watching that as a kid and thinking, well, we're seeing Peter and Ray and Egon, but where's Winston? All of a sudden he shows up in the courtroom scene, you know, and not even, but then he doesn't even bust the ghost with the guys, you know, it's like, wait, he, he has credentials as a ghostbuster too. Where is he? You know? Um, so I think that's been, that was a bummer of those, of those original movies, right? Is that they didn't highlight maybe uh, Winston or Ernie Hudson for that matter, um, they, they tended to not highlight him as much as the other three actors. Um, but man, if there's been anyone who's been carrying a torch for Ghostbusters over the last 30 years, Ernie Hudson certainly has had a hand in that. I mean, the countless fan events he does, the conventions he's been to, you know, I, I've been to multiple screenings of Ghostbuster, you know, the first movie in here or uh, Ernie Hudson is the one that shows up and he's there at all these events and uh, connecting with the fans. And I we finally get to see him get his due. I mean, he's awesome in this movie. Right. And even that in that end credits sequence where it, we find out he's the one that's keeping Ray's bookstore open. <laughs> he's like the, the firehouse isn't, isn't a Starbucks. Yeah, that's right. The, the, the three went into business for themselves and the ultimate businessman was the one who came in halfway through the movie, right? Halfway through that first movie, you know, he becomes this financial guru, right? It's awesome. I think he learned how not to run a business from Peter and Ray. <laughs> that's right. And was probably like more so connected to Egon in terms of, yeah. you know, there like, there is an actual science behind this and there is a way of running this business. And mm. I love how, yeah, like you absolutely, you're absolutely right. Like Winston gets his due. Winston is the fourth essential cog of the Ghostbusters. Yeah, absolutely. He is absolutely essential for sure. Again, for sure. I will def the hill I will die on for Ghostbusters is that Winston Zeddemore is an essential part oh, yeah. of the team. Well, and when he joins up with them, you know, he's the everyman. He's our window into this world, right? We're, we're seeing these kooky scientists through the eyes of Winston, you know, at that point, which is, which is great. You know, it's fun to hear his little quips and his, uh, you know, uh, oh gosh, what does he say when they're in the jail? You know, he's like, so I got no offense, guys. I just I gotta work here. Get my, I got to get my own lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and I think yeah, and I don't, I'm sure you know this, but the original actor they thought to play Winston was Eddie Murphy. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I think if they had cast somebody as as a, you know as as a big a star as Eddie Murphy was in the mid '80s, Winston would not have been relatable. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, because the one of the reasons he didn't do this movie is because he wanted to go and instead of being a part of an ensemble cast, be the star of Beverly Hills Cop, which worked out for him, right? Yeah. Like, that worked out great for him. But yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Winston would not have been relatable. He wouldn't. Uh, it would have It would have been a f 
very different movie. I mean, it's like the Beatles, right? It's like you have George, Paul, John, and Ringo, and maybe you love some of them more than others, but without any of them, it just doesn't work. And the Ghostbusters are the same way. Without any of those four guys, Winston, Ray, Peter, Egon, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And I love how Afterlife manages to pepper in a lot of great callbacks to the first film. Oh, yeah. The biggest thing I notice, because I, I'm a film score nerd. Like, mm. I, I nerd out so hard over oh, it. Oh, yeah. So this score for this movie must have been crazy for you to listen to. Huh? I heard so many callbacks to Elmer Bernstein's great original score. And yeah. the composer here, Rob Simonson, absolutely mm. nailed it out of the park. Oh, man. He did such an awesome job, you know, honoring the the Elmer score while still bringing in new elements and new sounds to it. And I loved the way they seemingly incorporated some, uh, some of the um, like callbacks to the first movie, those uh, the sounds you hear, like when the terror dog enters, you know, and like immediately you brought back to the terror dog, like through the door of Dana Barrett's apartment, you know, twisting and turning that like those sounds are in this score and it's amazing. You know, it's amazing to hear that. And, uh, I loved seeing the, uh, pre as pre-production was going on this movie, seeing a lot of the stuff that they were, uh, really images that they were releasing different through social media and stuff. And they found like, the piano that Elmer Bernstein had. I don't know if they recorded it on that piano or Elmer was like scoring stuff on that piano, but they used that same piano in this score. And you just, Oh, you hear all these little sounds and these notes and the, you know, these musical cues that are just, they're pitch perfect for this movie. And they really, I mean, it's kind of what the whole movie does as a whole, right? It honors the past, but brings us in continues moving us forward. Right. Well, and that's the way that these legacy sequels should operate. Right. And we've been seeing a lot of great examples of that. I think back to Blade Runner 2049 as a prime example of how to do a legacy sequel. Uh Um, Mad Max Fury Road. Absolutely. And I mean, hopefully we can continue on with this trend of seeing these great sequels to these beloved franchises that do honor the history it came from. Mm-hmm. But I was surprised to see as well that the events of the first film, the New York cross rip event, mm-hmm. but a large, large part is kind of glossed over. Like people don't know about it. I mean, that's like irrefutable proof that ghosts exist. <laughs> right. And yet people don't know about it so yeah. much. Yeah. Oh, it's crazy. It's, uh, it's, it's a funny element. And one that in my head, when I first heard about, it, I was like, I don't know if that would, that doesn't make sense. But you know, as, over the course of, you know, I, I work with high schoolers a lot and talking to them about events like nine 11, you know, I mean, they weren't born when that happened. So recalling events, it's totally believable to me that Phoebe and podcast would have no idea that this happened. Or I love the way that Trevor uh, calls back to it. He's like, Oh yeah, I've heard the Manhattan ghost stories. You know, it's just as this throwaway, like, ah, yeah, I know those ghost stories that they, that they, the, our parents used to talk about, you know, total 15 year old bluff, by yeah, the way, it's, right, yeah. it's like, oh yeah, I know how to chop wood with an ax. I can do it. Yeah, no exactly, problem. Exactly. Like, no, you don't. Right, First time right. you try axe goes flying out the, out of your hands. You break mom's window and then you have to explain, no mom, I really can't chop firewood. I'm sorry. I lied. <laughs> exactly. Oh yeah. man. Yeah, oh. I was a little bummed that no one remembered the statue of Liberty walking down, you know, right. I'm like, wait, wait, that don't, no, 
that didn't strike anyone as odd, you know. Yeah, the four hundred foot symbol of freedom and hope walking through downtown Manhattan. <laughs> exactly. You mean to tell me that we're not going to talk about that at all? <laughs> exactly. Uh, so yeah, I mean, and now we can get kind of get into the the fun portion of the of the show here on Force Fed Sci Fi. We usually have a choice of either red shirts, which is usually mm. a, like a character who died, but mm. nobody really dies in this movie. I mean, that's, we that's so true. We get Evo Shandor, who, again, like this movie went back to the Shandor villainy well in Gozer. Mm -hmm. We see him get ripped in half by the embodiment of Gozer. But for me, like, I I have to pick a yellow shirt here. Who is the the unsung hero of Ghostbusters Afterlife? And to me, like, the unsung hero here has to be Ray. Oh, okay. And why, why would you say that? You know, he initially... Was said, you know, Egon can rot in hell. Mm-hmm. I want nothing to do with him. I don't know. He, t- he cleaned us out. Yeah. The building's gone. I'm not a Ghostbuster anymore. And then he shows up with, mm-hmm. manages to get Peter from teaching marketing, which is what he should have done <laughs> as opposed to being a scientist. <laughs> yeah. And then manages to get Winston out of whatever cushy Manhattan apartment he's living in <laughs> to go in the middle of Bumbleton, Oklahoma uh-huh. to save Egon's estranged family from from certain destruction and like to pull that off when you say it out loud it's just like how in the world did he do that and then to show up right on time and save Phoebe Trevor and Callie in the world yeah yeah oh man yeah that's that's hard to argue that that's he is he is amazing in this movie I I'm just watching Dan Aykroyd fall back into that into the Ray role it's it's awesome yeah I think uh, of the original cast, I mean, what an arc he had! You know, that's 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 amazing to watch. I, for me, and unsung. I mean, you know, I say unsung, but he was also really awesome in this movie in a huge part. But I, a podcast for me is, oh man, I, <laughs> just, I from, a- from his from his introduction. Well, why do they call you podcast? I call myself podcast because of my podcast it's just it's so good you know and his his reaching out to Phoebe. i mean that connection and relationship that phoebe and him had through the whole movie when he asks her to be his lab partner she's like well i don't think we're going to be doing much many labs you know but sure it's just oh i love i love that i love that reaching out he's just this awkward uh kid who is excited about this like crazy creepy stuff and hey, i kind of see myself in that a little bit you know i saw myself hard in podcast yeah. <laughs> so it's amazing and in the in the date where gary and callie are on and he's going on on science stuff i'm just looking at my girlfriend next to me and she's just looking back at me and i whispered to her i see some similarities <laughs> yes. it's awesome oh it's so good and uh and then we move to the portion we call lens flares where anything mm. in the film that might have bothered you but i don't think you would have anything that like truly bothered you in this film. no you know nothing that i would say bothered me i for sure have questions about some stuff you know i think there's things that like maybe rightfully so we didn't get answered because it didn't really have a space in this movie to give an answer for because the while the movie is just over two hours it moves you know there's no dead space in this movie none of it feels like dead weight it all feels like it's uh everything that's happening propels the story forward which is great and um so i was okay not getting answers to like is the is the ecto-1 
did he was that the Ecto one A that he retrofitted back to the Ecto one or or like hey why aren't they talking about Ghostbusters two at all or uh you know or where's Slimer you know these are where's que- William Peck yeah these these are all questions that to me like while maybe I still have some of them like. I ultimately it didn't bother me that they weren't answered because I was so caught up in what I was seeing, you know, and maybe, you know, maybe that's shocked. Maybe in like three weeks or a month, I'll maybe those questions will creep up. But right now, I mean, I don't suspect they will. Uh, and I, you know, I kind of don't care. <laughs> you know, it's a, I, I'm so pumped. We got this movie and everything that happened. There wasn't really a lot that bothered me. You know, I mean, some people, I heard some people talking about like, well, where did the original guys come from? Like they're all of a sudden standing in the middle of this field and we didn't see their car in my head. I'm like, that's what you care about is seeing headlights drive through. Like you care about us moving away from this brilliant action sequence to cut to headlights driving through a cornfield just so that we know where these three guys came from. I'm like, okay, you're, you're in a different, you're not thinking, I, I, I don't think fundamentally you're thinking about the story or care about the story. You just care about the explanations. That's people not being able to turn off their analytic exactly. brain and thinking like, okay, what would absolutely ruin the pacing of the climax? <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I didn't have anything that like truly bothered me. Although mm. when Sheriff Domingo says, who are you going to call? I mean, it did cause, <laughs> did cause my eyes to roll a little bit because oh, I, lo- I, I loved it. I know you did. I just heard that joke I way too many times. Yeah. It's so many different different things outside of Ghostbusters. Yeah. Well, that you know, and here's the thing, you know, this goes to, uh, this just speaks to the universality of Ghostbusters, right? It's like, okay, hardcore movie people, we love this movie, you know? Uh, people who are diehard Ghostbusters fans love these movies. The, every man loves this movie. I mean, who hasn't said, who are you going to call to some, you know, when given the opportunity, right? I mean, that's... Uh, the, you walk I, into a Starbucks and yell, who are you going to call? There are a bunch of people who are going to yell out Ghostbusters. Exactly. So I, you know, that moment I was like, ah, this is... Because this is... Every, everyone knows these things, right? Everyone... that That's such an iconic part of this franchise, you know? It's such a... Uh, it, I, I don't know. I, I saw the everyman in that delivery. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. And that's a good segue into talking about how Ghostbusters Afterlife is doing right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's doing okay on the critic Mm -hmm. scores is 62% on Rotten Tomatoes, Mm -hmm. 47 on Metacritic. But again, take those with a grain of salt because those are Internet reviews. People don't know what they're talking about on the Internet. (laughs) But I did see that it is testing very well. With audiences. Audiences love this movie. I think I saw like a 98 audience rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, IMDb has an audience rating of 93%. So I think fans and newcomers alike Mm -hmm. are loving this movie and latching onto it very hard. I think so too. I think that speaks to just the the character driven story that they're telling, you know, uh, people, uh, people can relate to these characters. It's well, it's well written. It's well acted. Right. Um, man, it's just a fun movie to sit and watch. I, the third time I saw the third time I saw it, uh, I saw it in a room with, uh, like 20 to 30 friends of mine, all with varying degrees of familiarity with Ghostbusters. Right. I was probably the, I was the diehard fan in the group, you know, other people liked it, you know, love Ghostbusters. Some people hadn't seen the first one and you know what? They all loved it. All of us loved this movie. And if, if that's not a, if that's not, uh, you know, um, 
I mean, what better panel could you could you take and say, man, this is how everyone is receiving this movie? I think it's uh, I think it's hitting really well with people. You know, the it's funny, it's smart, um, it's got a lot of heart. You know, it felt like felt like someone rolled me up in a warm blanket of Ghostbusters. <laughs> you know, it's it just has that feel. You just want to root for these people on the screen. You know, you want them to succeed. You want things to be okay for them. And that is, ah, oh, man, what more would you want out of a movie like this, right? Well, hopefully a sequel. Oh, my gosh, I hope so. Well, oh. there's been no, nothing announced yet, but I think mm-hmm. it's going to go ahead. The movie was made on a budget of $70 million. Mm-hmm. So far at the time that we're recording this, it's made $60 million. Yep. So it's going to crush its budget, make a whole lot of money. But as you, like being the hardcore fan you are, yeah. what do you want to see from a Ghostbusters? Uh, what do you want to see from a fourth Ghostbusters film? That's that's a really great question. Well, I'll tell you one thing I know I really want to see is I want to see an animated series again. I, I, I wish that this would strike, you know, strike the iron while it's hot and they'd be like, oh, let's. You know, let's put it on T. Let's put Ghostbusters on TV. Let's get another movie in the works. I mean, that's ultimate. Ultimately, I just want more Ghostbusters. You know, um, I want I want to, them to continue to make stuff that kids can fall in love with and that adults can fall in love with, like I did. Right? I fell in love with the cartoons. I fell in love with the movies. Um, man, I would. It would be great to see ghostbusters back in this in the zeitgeist of pop culture like it was you know when i was growing up um i man out of a fourth movie i you know I, we talked a little bit about the ending uh the post credit scene the le- the second post credit scene with winston and it really i think they I mean, they're setting themselves up for for what could be a possible sequel there. You know, we see Winston back in the firehouse. We get a shot, a lingering, you know, uh, push in on the containment unit. It's still on. It's still functioning, you know. Um, I mean, it'd be cool, I think, to see Ghostbusting become franchised in, in that universe, you know. I think, uh, you know, back to the first movie where... Peter says, you know, the franchise, the franchise rights alone will make us rich beyond our wildest dreams, you know? And what if there were, what if other people started ghost busting? What if this became a, you know, global empire that Winston builds, you know? Um, I mean, there's ghosts, not just in America, they're all over the place. Right. So I, you know, I think the possibilities are endless. I would love to see, uh, Obviously, these characters were great. Mm-hmm. I, I would love to see what happens next for Phoebe and Podcast and Trevor and Lucky. You know, I man, we didn't even touch on Lucky, and she's she's she was awesome in this movie. Uh, and I, you know, I would love to see what happens with their characters. Um, at the same time, I you know, I'm excited to see what Winston has brewing in his head, what the ideas he's got for this. Clearly, he brought the car back. He's ready to start things up again, it seems. So what does that mean for the future? You know, I, I, I don't know. Well, 2024 will be the 40th anniversary of the first film. So Oof. we could we could see another Ghostbusters film on the horizon i hope really soon and like you were saying i hope that they bring these characters back i hope i even hope jason reitman comes back to direct it that would be that would be amazing you know he uh he said multiple times how personal of a story this was for him to write you know i mean he 
he himself is following in his father's footsteps, you know, much like the people in the movie, right? So it's like, uh, you know, ghost busting for him has been in his family his whole life, right? Um, so to see him continue this with this movie, for it to be awesome, you know, uh, I, I would love to see if he has other stories to tell, you know, and I'm sure, I'm sure they're just waiting to see what, what this movie does over this next, you know, couple of weeks. Cause, uh, I, I doubt they, they want to stop. Right. <laughs> no, it, it's going to be too big to stop. And, um, yeah. you know, I think with all that in mind, I think we've come to the portion of the show where we rate Ghostbusters afterlife. Mm. And in our podcast, we have the unique scale of wouldn't watch, would watch, would own. It would host a viewing party. Jose, <laughs> as the big Ghostbusters fan in the room, what do you rate Ghostbusters Afterlife? <laughs> um, you know, as one who has already hosted a viewing party of the movie, you know, I absolutely, I can't wait. I can't wait to own this on Blu-ray. I want it on 4K Blu-ray. I want to have people over to my house and marathon all of the movies. You know, I, I am ex- I am ecstatic with this movie. It is the best possible scenario. I, for this, for a third Ghostbusters movie, I, I mean, growing, you know, for the last 30 years, I've had tons of ideas in my head of, Hey, how do you move this story forward? The movie we saw wasn't one of them, but I loved that. I loved that, that, you know, it caught me, uh, it caught me by surprise. It showed me a story that I didn't think that I didn't know I needed to see. And, uh, I was super grateful for the movie. I thought, um, man, it just hit on all cylinders. It, uh, it tugged the heartstrings. It made me laugh. I cried. I, you know, I, I was excited and hyped. I couldn't wait to talk about this movie. That was the hardest thing about seeing it at the world premiere is coming back and not being able to talk about it with anyone. You know, I can't process this movie with anyone until like Thursday or Friday, you know? So, uh, yeah, I absolutely would host a viewing party. <laughs> well, you better have room at your party. Cause I'm right there with you. I would host a viewing party for this in a heartbeat. And like you, I was initially skeptical heading into this movie mm-hmm. about what to expect and I think the 2016 reboot really kind of clouded my my mm-hmm. vision and judgment and hope for this movie. And this blew away my expectations. Yeah. Every single one of them right out of the water. I love the characters. I love the performances. I love the nostalgia. And as I think we've mentioned, we completely disagree with this notion that it's just for, that is for fan service because it's not. No, no. Yeah, absolutely not. And while I would have hoped for a more original story that departed from Evo Shandor mm-hmm. and Gozer, like I think that this the future of the franchise is in good hands, and it's the first time fans of this franchise have been able to say that for a long time. And it's it's very hopeful. And the Harold Ramis tribute totally tugs on the heartstrings. The final shot of for Harold, I don't think there was a dry eye in my theater. It was the perfect way to end. What was what was essentially a two-hour tribute to Harold Ramis at Egon Spengler. It was absolutely amazing. It has humor. It's got action. It's got heart. I don't know what else you could want from a Ghostbusters movie, but Afterlife has it all. Absolutely. Absolutely. It made me want to strap on a proton pack. <laughs> uh, well, Jose Rivera, you got any pluggables to plug for 
uh, for Windy City Ghostbusters? Um, check us out on Facebook, Windy City Ghostbusters, um, at uh, on Twitter at Windy City GBs. Um, yeah, we're out there. We're doing stuff. You know, if you want us for an event reach out and uh you know we ask for a donation to one of our charities we support la Rabita children's hospital um and uh the humane society and uh yeah we're uh, you know we love we love ghostbusters uh you know we love people and we love uh and we love doing this stuff and loved having you on the podcast thank you so much for sitting down with me to talk ghostbusters afterlife oh Thank you. Thank you for having me. And if you enjoyed this episode, please head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. It really helps to drive us up the charts as well as help people like you find the show. We are across the spectrum of social media with Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at ForceFed Sci-Fi. You can check out and download episodes from Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you find podcasts. And go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Finally, you can check out our website, forcefedsci-fi.com, for show notes and links to all of our social media. So for all of us at the Forcefed Sci-Fi team, we will see you next time.